Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, all you heroes and champions, crows, pirates, and inquisitors. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast. I'm Shelby. And I'm Austin. And we are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe. From the Maker to Lyrium to Aravels, we will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hey, Shelby. Hey, Austin. How's it going? Great. You ready to talk about some Dragon Age? I really am. Let's do it. All right. So we're continuing our Countries of Thetis series. Um, And who do we got today, Shelby? Well, today we're going to tackle two countries. Um, But they're really close to each other and they share some similarities. So we are talking about Antiva and Ravane. So some countries that we might have heard, but we have not been to. Yeah, we have not yet visited these countries, which I really, 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 really want to go to Antiva and DA4. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if we get to do that or not. Yes, we will see. All right. Well, let's just dive right in. Okay, well, you know, I always start with a few fun facts about the country. Um, And today is no different. So a little bit about Antiva is that Antiva is located in northeastern Thetis on the Rialto Bay. Um, They are ruled by a king or queen that has usually has a royal family. Um, But even though the line of kings in Antiva has remained unbroken for like two and a half thousand years the monarchy is very weak um, and has virtually no power in Antiva. In reality, Antiva is a plutocracy, which means the true power of the country is determined by who has the most wealth. In Antiva, this takes the shape of the merchant princes and kind of also in um, the Antivan crows. Um, And Antiva really, like, becomes a nation in its own right, right around minus 30 ancient. Um, So right when the Chantry calendar and all of that is getting established. Um, I also wanted to read a quote from the Dragon Age wiki. Um, And this is just talking about the merchant princes because we hear the word princes and we think, oh, like they're royalty, but they're really not. Um, But this is what it says. They're not princes in the literal sense, 
but heads of banks, trading companies, and vineyards, each with a personal army and each locked in a constant struggle against all of the others. They possess sufficient capital to resolve any external diplomatic quandaries with a well-aimed purse or the threat of withdrawn trade. Um, and it's important to note that the royal family doesn't really have an army. Um, I'm sure they, they probably have enough money to, but their wealth doesn't even compare to the wealth of the merchant princes. And that's significant. That tells you how much wealth the merchant princes really do have. Um, and then my last, my last little fun fact is that the symbol of Antiva is a golden drake. Right, right, right. It's very interesting, the, just the emphasis on, like, economic power. Like, because it does play a factor in the other countries of Thetis, but there's so much, like, in Ferelden, I feel like we have that traditional, like, hereditary nobility power structure. And then Orle, there's, like, this blend between that and this religious theocracy power and other things like that. And then Tevinter is this magic ruling. Right, and I think the same is true, like, in Antiva, you do have that... that um hereditary nobility line but the real power doesn't they're not the real power mm -hmm. um in the country like we're Ferelden, like the king of Ferelden or the queen of Ferelden, like that's it the buck stops with them um not so in antiba it makes sense because like we talk about parallels to other countries and like Antiva, Italia, like Italy. There are big like Italy connections here, especially when you think of I always, the, mob. the mob and like the mob's connection to like in stereotypicals. I'm not Italian. I don't know what the mob thing is there, but like in the stereotypes in what we think of, they always have this background like connection to this economic system that's going on in Italy. Like they offer protections for the shops in their neighborhood and other things like that. That's true. That's true. Um, well, that's all of my fun facts about Antiva, but I thought we could move into the ancient history a little bit um, like we normally do. I don't have as much uh, ancient history as I have in past episodes, but I still want to highlight a few things. All right, well, let's do it. Okay, so Antiva, their origins, um, I think their origins are really interesting. Um, and they begin with pirates and mercenaries who settled on the coast of the Rialto Bay. They're kind of like escaping... Uh, not necessarily persecution, punishment for their crimes um, in other parts of Thetis. And I find that really interesting given the fact that Antiva is the place where it's the land of assassins. Mm. Um, 
So I think that's really interesting that 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 would that that's their history too. Um, it shows that our history really does impact us more than we may more than we might think. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't think that's a coincidence at all. But also in the ancient period, um, Antiva has a story of expansion, um, and one of the big things they do is that they expand their navy, which makes total sense since they're literally located on a bay. Most of their country is coastline, so of course, um, naval military would be one of their priorities. But what I find interesting about this is that they were helped in this effort by a dwarf. Hmm. Um, his name was Baragrand. And he was from Gundar, um, and he just, like, had all this knowledge about the Navy. I don't really know how. It, it didn't tell me how. Um, but he really is one of the ones that is credited with helping Antiva expand their naval power, um, which then helped Antiva expand into its own nation um, instead of, you know, staying like a group of city-states similar to the Free Marches. Right. I think that that's interesting and now that i really think about it you would think that the dwarven cities of orzammar and antiva would be closely related because they're pretty similar in style because no like orzammar has its own noble caste that holds its own power but the merchant caste is up there in like influence and power and like even Barrett talks about like you don't want to get on the wrong side of the merchant cast of the dwarves that's true there's just so much cultural stuff with the dwarves mm-hmm. i don't think we can really compare it though mm. but i could see them being friends because of the emphasis on like the power right. of the merchants yeah no i see that too Okay, well, let's move into a little bit more modern history um, and culture, too. So, in 145 Divine, I know this is still kind of ancient age, but we're technically in the Divine Age, um, the teachings of Andraste are popularized in Antiva, and they convert. And to this day, they still primarily, officially at least, follow the teachings of the Chantry. Um, and then a few other things about Antiva, there's no standing army, so it's not a leading military power. And this has been something that they've done for, for years and years and years. Um, obviously it does, however, keep the deadliest assassins in Thetis, which were, which were and are the Antivan crows. So the crows really function as their military, um, even though they're not, they're not a military, but they, they function in that kind of way for the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but because they have no standing army, they always take a very strict attitude of neutrality during war and like border conflicts. Mm. So it's very, I get big Switzerland um, yeah. vibes. Like they want to be neutral. They don't want to be involved in politics. And we'll get into a little bit more of that later and like where that attitude ca- came from. Um, but I think it's important to highlight. So some more important historical events. Um, really one of the biggest is the murder of Queen Madrigal. This happened in five, this happened in 599 Exalted Age, um, which is the end of an age. That was the end of the Exalted Age. 
So she was murdered on a hunt and she was stabbed through the heart with four steel swords. And one of the swords was a replica of Hesarian's Sword of Mercy, and that's what he used to kill Andraste. So this was obviously a really big deal, um, really traumatic, really, um, you know, shaking for the nation, right? Um, and it also led to the naming of the next age, which was the Steel Age. So that's a really, really important thing. One fun fact about the replica of Hesarian's sword, um, there's several of them that exist. They're prized possessions among the Tementor nobility. Um, yes. You can actually find one in Dragon Age 2, and you can give it to Fenris, who I think you get it. Oh, interesting. You get it from uh, Daenerys or someone. Interesting. Yeah. Well, um, this murder of Queen Madrigal was a really accurate foreshadowing of that age because it was in the early Steel Age when the Canari arrived in Parvalin, and they began to expand all over the continent like we've talked about. Um, but between 632 and 642 Steel, Antiva is conquered by the Kunari, um, and they really wouldn't be freed from this until the next age um, until 784 storm. And that's when the Lameran Accord was signed, um, which is some kind of treaty. I didn't really remember. I don't remember what all that is, but <laughs> we'll talk about it later. Um, so that's another really big, really big event in Antivan history. Um, and then two more big events, I think. Um, in, in 512 Exalted, the Fourth Blight begins. And we talk about the Fourth Blight all the time, I feel like. But the Fourth Blight devastates, you know, so much of Thetis. And this is really Antiva's darkest time, is the time of the Fourth Blight. The entire country is ravaged, and uh, the Archdemon awakens um andoral is the his name and dark spawn begin to surface primarily in antiva um and in last flight the book the entire we get the picture of the entire royal family is basically killed uh, by dark spawn during this flight during this blight because they don't want to abandon their castle they don't want to abandon their country and the gray wardens are kind of like look y'all this is this is dire like y'all don't have time to to wait anymore and they are still not able to make a decision and then finally by the time the queen i think um is like okay okay gray wardens take us out it's too late um and only only one of them survives um so this is this is really one of their darkest times in history um, and then my last historical moment to highlight from Antiva is in 899 Blessed, dragons reappeared. Um, and they first showed up in Antiva, which led to the naming of the Dragon Age. Okay, well, let's let me highlight a few cultural things about Antiva uh, before we move on into some important people. So, um, 
Antiva is known for the um, Antivan Crows, but it's also known for its wine. It's known for its sailing. It's known for its rich merchant history. Um, Antiva has a real strong culture of romance, luxury, like zeal for life, um, and of course, danger as well. Um, And another thing is that Antivans speak with a really strong Spanish accent. Um, and in some cases, they even speak Spanish. Like Zevran, if you romance Zevran in Origins, he will all, all often um, answer you, like prompting a conversation with him uh, by saying, si amor in Spanish, which means yes, love. Um, so I think that's interesting. I, I think there are a lot of Spanish vibes. I think there are a lot of Italian vibes. Um, yeah, I think those are two, two of the biggest influences in um, creating Antiva for sure. So what are your thoughts on Antiva? I, I think that Antiva is definitely a place I want to see more of. I think that mm -hmm. it would be interesting to get a view of some of the more minor players in Thetis. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's really it. I think it would be interesting to kind of get involved in like whatever the political game of Antiva is. Mm-hmm. Just because I think it would be very different than what we've experienced in the game already. Yeah, I agree. And I would, I know they won't bring the hero of Ferelden back, but I would love, would love to play as um, a hero, my hero of Ferelden, one of them who became an Antivan Crow, because you can become part of the Crows in Origins. Mm -hmm. Um, I would love to go back and revisit that and like how that all plays out because I mean if I'm not mistaken you can't really like be conscripted in the same way the rest of the crows are like right. um, it's just a little bit of a different situation but if you haven't done that in um, Origins basically what happens is um, you get approached by a guy in the marketplace in Denerum, and he's like, look, you clearly survived. <laughs> You've clearly survived a lot. Uh, you've survived Antivan Crows already. We could use you. We could use your talent. Um, and you got to do a few things um, to officially become part of the Crows. But then once you do, you get money, obviously. I think you could do a couple more quests. Um, and then there's a shop that opens up. Um, in the marketplace in Denerum for you to buy more stuff. Um, and most important, I think, is you get an extra vote in the lands meet. There's a, a person who shows up, like, I think it's like some distant noble is what their name is, but they're actually an Antivan Crow, mm -hmm. um, and they vote for you in the lands meet. Interesting. Yeah, so I always become an Antivan Crow ever since I learned that. Because I always need more votes in the lands me because mm -hmm. it never goes my way. <laughs> okay. 
Um, well, if you don't have any thoughts or questions, we can move on into some important and even people. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so the first person I want to highlight is a woman named Queen Asha. And her full name is Asha Sabira Bahadur Kampana. And she was queen of Antiva during the Black Age. She still doesn't have as many names as Cassandra. No, she doesn't. Um, but I wanted to talk about her because she is very often referred to as the queen mother of Thetis. Hmm. She was um, born as a minor princess of Ravain, um, and she eventually grew to be one of the most important women on the continent um, because of her actions as queen. Um, and she really played the game, rivaling any Orlesian for sure. So she was born in 430 Black in Ravain, like I just said, and she rose to a pretty important political status um, where she was then betrothed to the prince, um, Prince Alonzo Dario Campana of Antiva. A lot of people kind of looked down on this pairing, not necessarily because she was unworthy, but because they saw Prince the prince as unworthy of her, um, because they saw him as someone who would be a weak king. Um, but joke is on them, because this pair... They went on to do some incredible things throughout their marriage and reign. Um, a codex entry in Dragon Age um, Inquisition um, says that th this is this is how um, powerful and how um, how much she impacted Thetis. This is from Inquisition, and it's the Codex Queen Asha of Antiva. The marriage of a minor princess of Ravain to an almost powerless king was beneath their consideration. Yet this wedding was, in retrospect, perhaps the most important event in Thetis' history since the blackening of the Golden City. Wow. I know. So she, she is super duper important. And the reason why she's important is because of the way that she arranged marriages for her children. She had a lot of children, and she intentionally arranged marriages for them to people, powerful people, nobility, in rival countries and locations. Within 30 years, Antiva was so well-connected that any hostile act against them would force at least half of Thetis into a war. Wow. Her, her bloodline is said to flow through the ruling families of Orlais, Navarra, Starkhaven, the Anderfells, and some of the magisters of the Tevinter Imperium. Mm. So that's like every country except for Ferelden. Which is a big deal because the magisters want, they almost want to keep that like, they want their mages to, their magisters want to marry other mages so that magic right. stays in the bloodline or whatever. Well, well, they could have had a mage child that they married off into Tevinter. That's true. Because she is from Ravane and Ravane has a very different view of magic. So it's very possible. Um, That's right. Did you find anything about magic in Antiva? 
Um, not a lot, honestly. I and it's it's hard because some of these more minor countries, we don't have a lot yet because we haven't gone to these places yet. Right. Um, so I anticipate we'll learn a little bit more about them as the games progress. And um, of course, if that does happen, if DA four is has a setting in Ravane or Antiva or any of these places we've talked about, we'll we will of course revisit um, and maybe redo this episode. Um, so I wanted to go back to Queen Asha for just, just a second. Um, but because of the way that she like intermarried her children into all of these royal houses, um, that's what allows Antiva to hold this political neutrality in every, every conflict. And they've just maintained that for forever. Right. So that's a little bit about Queen Asha. That's pretty cool. I know. I like her a lot. Um, but moving on a little bit, my next topic is our favorite Assassin's Guild, the Antivan Crows. Woohoo! Yeah, so um, we're just going to do a short bio about the Crows. And the Crows, as we know, are in an infamous Assassin Guild. The guild is run by an incredibly secretive council. And this council is made up of eight talons. So like the talon on a crow, um, that's what they're made up of. That's their name. So currently, according to Taventer Knights, now some of these people are dead, so it's, it's not totally current, um, but it's as current as we can say for now. <laughs> So, um, according to Taventer Knights, the first talon is Katarina Delamort. The second talon is Dante Balazar. The third talon is Lyra the Listy. The fourth talon is Emile Cortez. The fifth talon is Viago de Riva. The sixth talon is Bolivar Nero. The seventh talon is Andorotea Cantori. And the eighth talon is Julie Ariani. Hmm. So they are the Crow leadership. And if you're, if you're paying attention at all um, to that list of, of people that I just read off, you will have noticed and recognized at least one of the names. Um, and that's Julie Ariani. That's the same last name as Zevran, Zevran Ariani. And the reason for that is because these talons, these leaders of the crows, um, they very often take in, you know, like homeless kids or um, people living on the streets, that kind of thing. And they give them a home, they give them food, and then therefore that person is indebted to the crows. And so usually when you become a member of the crows, underneath a certain talon, you would then take their last name. That's what happens to Zevran. He uh, basically is living in a brothel. His mom was a sex worker. And um, I guess the eighth talon, Julie Ariani, or maybe the one before him, if it was another Ariani, took him under their wing and he became a crow through that way. So more things about the crows that we can talk about. Um, the crows actually started as an arm of the Chantry, believe it or not, in the hills north of Treviso, a city um, in Antiva. 
An order of monks used herbs grown in the gardens of their abbey to assassinate a uh, like maniacal duke. So that's how they started. So it's very assassinate, assassinating, like backstabbing, poison kind of um, situation. Um, and so from then they just kind of grew into this group that, um, assassinates people for a living. Um, so since then, since that time, uh, their deadly reputation and exotic poisons, because of those two things, the crows have practically come to rule Antiva. Hmm. Though honor in such an organization is generally not trustworthy like you can't just trust somebody who says they're going to do something they do adhere to one major standard contracts are met and agreements are kept failure to eliminate someone that you are supposed to kill means that your life is also forfeit so that's what happens to Zevran. Right. He doesn't kill the hero of Ferelden. So he's so content to follow you because he knows if he does anything other than that, he's going to die. So it makes total sense that he would then follow the only person that he knows who could kill another crow. You. Yeah. So the crows are also a driving political force. Um, obviously, we already talked about the merchant princes having the power, um, and that's true. They have the power and wealth, but um, the crows are, they're like the force behind that power. So they're often hired to assassinate Antiva nobility and royalty, um, and their reputation is enough to deter most nations from openly attacking Antiva, um, even though it doesn't have a standing army. And Zevran also implies in Origins that the crows are just like an important part of Antivan society, like as a whole. Um, they're not just something that's in the dark or um, in the shadows. They're, they're not something that's hidden. They are just part of the society and culture generally. And like everyone knows who they are. They're important. They're recognized. But they're maybe not like promoted to outsiders. It's interesting that Antiva has this claim of neutrality, which like officially like from a noble and like political specs they do. But the Antivan crows have been so involved in the politics of the rest of Thetis because they are hired as assassins. Mm-hmm. So, like, are they truly neutral? Well, I mean, they would say they are because the crows are not officially part of the government. Yeah. I would also say that, you know, this just shows that just because you're neutral doesn't mean that you're not involved. And just because you're neutral doesn't mean you haven't picked a side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Well, do you want to talk about some notable Antivans? Sure. All right, so here's our notable Antivans. So, Zevran, obviously, and Queen Asha, who we talked about. Uh, Captain uh, Aristide uh, led an investigation of Queen Madrigal's murder and assassination. Castilian, an 
A Tevin merchant who hired Isabel to escort a slave transport ship. Uh, that's events that take place during Dragon Age 2 with Isabella's quest. Um, Oriana Kuzlin, sister-in-law sister of the human noble origin and DAO. Josephine. Commander Polara, the warden commander of Ferelden before Duncan. Master Ignacio, who is a merchant in Dragon Age Origins. Uh, Kaylin from Last Flight helped the Grey Wardens defeat Andrew on the fourth flight. And then Yavanna and Teven, Witch of the Wilds, daughter of Plymouth. Yeah, we should have talked about Yavanna. Um, she'll probably make another highlight in one of our um, episodes soon because she's probably really important. But we meet her in one of the comics. Um, she's very similar to Morrigan. Um, and she has a really interesting story. So we'll talk about her later. Well, let's take a break and go back into the middle of the show before we get into revenge. Perfect. All right. See you after the break. All right. We're back and we're here in the middle of the show to just kind of remind you that you can follow us on Twitter um, at DA Lorecast. Also, if you have questions about the lore, you can reach out to us on Twitter or you can send us an email at DALorecast at gmail.com. Um, other than that, if you're looking for a way to support the podcast, one of the best ways to do that is to le- go into Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. If you really like what we do, if you like what we do about the podcast, please, please leave us that review. Um, and we will read five-star reviews out on the podcast during this time. Um, and so Shelby has one to read for us today. I do. This one is our first ever review, and it's from MLO1920. And um, this is what MLO says. I've just started this podcast and I'm very much a fan of it already. As a Dragon Age fan, I've been hoping for a new podcast to listen to about the games and characters, so finding this was a nice treat. I'm looking forward to the interesting topics the hosts are going to dive into so I can learn more about the series. Keep up the great work. Thanks, MLO. Yeah. All right. All right, we'll get back to the Dragon Age lore cast. Okay, Shelby, you ready to talk about Ravane? I am t- ready to talk about Ravane. Um, All right. I'm really fascinated with Ravane. And maybe it's because we know so little about it. And also there's this rumor that like Ravane is where the black people come from in Thetis, which I don't know where that came from. I don't know if that's true um, but I definitely want them to explore more of Ravane. Um, and also like, I think representation of all races is important, um, in these games. So if that's how Bioware does decide to like write the origin of people of color, I guess, um, in this, in this continent, then I think we should go to Ravane. I think we should spend a significant mm-hmm. amount of time, um, in that location, um, so, let's, I don't have as many, like, fun facts as I normally do, just because we, again, know very little about Ravane, but I'll do my best. So, Ravane is a very small country in the northeastern section of Thetis, and it is actually a peninsula off of Antiba. It is incredibly close to Parvalon. So, in Ravane, probably out of anywhere else in Thetis, Ravane is most impacted by Kunari culture. 
Um, so, Ravain is almost entirely surrounded by water, similar to Antiva. They have a matriarchal society, and they believe that women are just best suited to ruling. They are a monarchy, kind of goes along with that matriarchal monarchy. Um, and its capital city is the city of Daresmond. Wow. Yeah, and that's all I have about um, Ravain. Like I said, we don't know as much about it. Right. Okay, but let's get in. Let's get into some of this older history. Mm-hmm. So, the Ravaini people from minus one twenty to minus one fifty three ancient. No, I'm sorry. From minus one twenty to minus fifty three ancient, the Ravaini rebel from Tevinter. And they don't want to be part of the Imperium anymore. This is before even Antiva, I think, has split from um, the Imperium. Mm -hmm. But they're really supported by a lot of the city-states and the Free Marches. And we'll talk more about the Free Marches next week. But Minus 44 Ancient is the official founding of the Kingdom of Ravain. Um, So they gained their independence pretty early. Um, like I said, they were kind of settled by Tevinter, at least ruled by Tevinter. I would assume, I couldn't find this information anywhere, but I would assume that Ravain was kind of settled by the same group of like pirates, mercenaries, um, same kind of similar history as Antiva, since it is a peninsula off of Antiva. But I think in Ravain, more than any other place in Thetis, um, Ravain has more of like an indigenous story where the people who are just indigenous to this land um, have lived there for forever. And I think you get some of that with like the matriarchal stuff and their view of magic has just kind of been around for a long time. And we don't know the full history of that. So that might change um, in future books and, and content. Uh, but for now, the best we can kind of do is guess at some of that history. So we're going to skip forward a little bit. Um, the fourth blight. I know we, I feel like we talk about like three things every episode. I always talk about the fourth blight. I always talk about a novel and I always talk about the Chantry. Oh, and we always talk about Tevinter. But like these things are like lasting impressions in Dragon Age. And if I had to emphasize one thing, it would be that these things that we always talk about have so much influence in the world that you just may not get um, by a simple playthrough. You just may not realize how much Tevinter impacted every part of this of this planet. I mean- Tevinter almost conquered the entire continent. Right, almost. And it, you could argue that it took an act of God, an act of the maker, for them to yeah. be stopped. So, anyway, 
The fourth blight is disastrous for Ravane, just like it is for Antiba. Darkspawn are everywhere. It's, it's basically conquered. It falls pretty easy. I mean, once Antiba falls, there's no hope for Ravane. I mean, where do you go? A ship? Like, great, but yeah. you can't live on a ship for the length of a blight. You never know how long a blight could be. So, anyway. Um... In 524 Exalted, Ravain is finally freed from the Darkspawn explosion. Um, when Andoral is finally defeated in Garahel, uh, or is finally defeated by Garahel, and this happens in Aisley, um, which is a city in Ravain. So, that finally happens after a long time. Um, but then pretty soon after that, like a hundred years, in the next age, um, the Kunari conquer Ravain. And unlike Antiva, the Kunari are never fully ousted um, from Ravain. They definitely, their, their presence, their culture, they last uh, much longer than anywhere else. So the Chantry does send exalted marches against the Kunari. Um, and actually, both Chantries. Both chantries declare exalted marches against the Kunari um, in Ravain. And the Taventer Imperium's Imperial Chantry uh, declares exalted marches to retake Saharan and Quirinus at the same time. And uh, the regular chantry, I don't know what the right word, the uh, Orlesian chantry maybe, declares an exalted march to retake Ravain. So, like, all of these are happening at the same time. They're all fighting the chant, or the, both the chantries are all fighting um, the Kunari. So, that's a really big deal that, that both chantries would be united in something. Um, so, I think that's significant. Um, but, you know, there's this constant conflict between the teachings of the Kune and the teachings of the Chantry. I think we're coming to a head with that a little bit um, more, more in the next yeah. game. At least if the Kunari can get over their infighting. But in this time, in the Storm Age, they're fighting for the culture of Ravain. Because Ravain is one of the only places throughout Thedas whose culture is anything close to a melting pot. Because you do have this Chantry culture... But you also have the indigenous culture with, with these matriarchs. Um, in Ravain, you have that kind of thing. And then you also have the impact of Antiva, of course. And you have um, now this new influence with the Kunari. Um, and that's, that's, that's really a, a lot of conflicting cultural uh, groups right there. And so that really does impact how Ravain sees itself and just how it exists now. Yeah. Um, so, unlike the majority of people in Thetis, the Ravaini are like, they're not Andrastians. They're not officially declared to the Chantry, and they don't really believe in the Maker. Um, instead, their indigenous kind of beliefs 
um, persist. They're pantheists who believe in like a natural order. And so many hold to the belief that their God and the universe are the same. Um, though technically Ravain's royalty is Andrastian, the Chantry doesn't have any authority beyond the capital of Daresmond. So another important thing to talk about with the Canari is that Ravain has some of the only cities in Thetis outside of Parvalin and Saharan that are controlled by the Kunari. Um, that's really a big deal. There's a lot of Ravani people, especially in the city of Kantar, um, that have just converted to the Kune, um, entirely. So this is a big deal. Um, even though the country is not technically is not technically uh, betrothed or converted to the Chantry, the Kuhn clearly has a very big, mm -hmm. very big role to play. So I wanted to read a quote from Brother Ferdinand Genitivi. Um, and he is the brother of the Chantry that you meet in Origins. He's the one that takes you to the Temple of Sacred Ash. But this is what he has to say about Ravain. The chant of light never truly reached the ears of these people. Resistance to the chant goes deeper than the Kunari Wars. The Ravani refuse to be parted from their seers, wise women who are in fact hedge mages, communicating with spirits and actually allowing themselves to be possessed. The Chantry prohibition against such magical practices violates millennia of local tradition in Ravain. Hmm. So, this is talking about how Ravain sees magic, which I think is kind of contradictory to the Kune, um, but maybe since it's, it's very, like, hedge mage, kind of, like, not trained magic, um, you can kind of get around that, but the Ravaini have these seers, um, these women that are basically, you know, like, not necessarily predicting the future, but that kind of stuff. Um, and the people are obsessed with it. Like, they don't want to give that up. Of course, it's their culture. Um, and so these women, that they're part of the ones that are uh, part of this matriarchal society that have power in this matriarchal world. And um, they're really hedge mages. So... A few episodes ago, I can't remember, maybe it was in our Tevinter episode, but I made the comment that was basically like, I can only think of one country in Thetis that interprets that line in the Chant of Light about magic is meant to serve man, not rule over him. I could only think of one country outside of Tevinter that interprets that differently, and that one country is Ravain. Um the circles in Ravain are just so much more lenient than the circles in the rest of Thetis because of this culture of these hedge mage women. Um, it's just, it's just totally different. So I think that the Chantry leaders in Ravain and because of the conflicting culture, just generally, um, definitely see magic through different eyes. Um, so another important thing to note about magic in Ravain um, a circle did exist in Daresmond, uh, but it was really just like a, men, a means to appease the Chantry. It was lenient, like I said. The mages were allowed to like go home and see their families and 
the women were specifically trained to be seers. Um, and so there are some of these seer women that were more than just hedge mages. Um, they had more magical training because of the circle, but they educate apprentices like in this magic and they're allowed tons of freedom and even assist Templars when needed. So the Ravani circle is very different um, from the rest of Thetis. And I think this is actually a better model for the circles than the rest of Thetis, but we don't have time to get into that conversation. Um, but another important aspect of this is that according to the first enchanter of the Daresman circle, when the other circles rose up in rebellion, starting the Mage Templar War in the events of Dragon Age 2 and Inquisition, the Chantry, when the Chantry discovered in 940 Dragon how the Daresman circle operated, um, they declared all of the mages as apostates and used the right of annulment to destroy the circle entirely and kill all of its mages. That seems smart. Well, I mean, it's, it's very smart if you want a war. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think that that was really a big turning point in that, in that conflict. Um, I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion that if that hadn't happened, they maybe could have prevented some of the things that happened. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's a big deal. And they do mention it, I think, in Inquisition. Um, like, there's some side comments about it. And if you read Asunder... There are comments about it, too, um, at the end of that book when they have, like, their gathering of all the mages. Um, do you have any thoughts about magic in Ravain? Um, not really, other than I do think it's interesting, the, like, freedom that exists there. I see a lot of parallels between the Ravani and the Roma people. The Ravani? Yeah, the Ravani and the Roma people. Interesting. Okay. Um, just kind of like the way they talk about seers and other things like that. And like the emphasis on matriarchal societies really just kind of give me that vibe. Yeah, I don't really know anything about the Roma people, so I don't want to say mm. I agree or don't right agree, up. but. Yeah. Oh, and one more thing I wanted to add about culture. I forgot this earlier. Um, so social standing in Ravain is very often marked by tattoos and or body piercings. Um, so the more elaborate, like your decorations, your body modifications, the higher your rank in society. So obviously they have very extravagant jewelry. And I think we kind of see that with Isabella a little bit. Um, I don't think we've seen anybody else with a facial piercing in Dragon Age except for her. Yeah. I think you're right. At least yet. Yeah. All right. You ready to talk about our side character? 
Um, actually, I wanted to talk about a couple of people with Ravani origins first. Oh, yeah. Let's go. So, Queen Asha of Antiva, like we talked about earlier, she is originally from Ravane. Um, Isabella is Ravani. Duncan is from Ravane. And it's said that uh, Vivian DeFair also has some Ravani descent, even though I think she considers hmm. herself to be from the Free Marches. She does. She says that. Yeah, so those are some notable Ravani people. Oh, cool. Okay, so I am now ready to talk about our side character. All right, let's get into it. Okay, well, our side character for the day is from Antiva. I would have tried to choose someone from both, but I couldn't, there wasn't really anyone, so, um, except for Queen Asha, but we already talked about her. So, our side character for the day is the seventh Talon, Andoratea Cantori. So, Andoratea is probably my favorite of all of the Talons. I really, really loved her in Tevinter Nights. That's where she shows up uh, first, I think. She also shows up in a comic, but um, I really like her a lot. Her nickname, she's often called Taya. And she was made a Talon by the age of 28. Um, and oh, wow. Yeah, she's the youngest one in history. Um, so I like her a lot. And um, there are a lot of people who think that Taya is... There's, there's a woman in the Dragon Age 4 trailer. Um, there's a woman in that trailer that is... An, she's an Antivan crow and she has like kind of long hair. So there's a lot of people that think that that person in the trailer is Taya. So there's a lot of people that think she'll be in Dragon Age 4. I would love that. I would love that. So let me give you a little bit of bio about her. So Taya grew up as a thief on the streets of Antiva City before she joined the Crows. Um, she obviously did not have a lot of money. She didn't have any family. She grew up, she had a very rough life as a child. And she joined the Crows. She was recruited into the Crows by Katerina Delamort, who's like the main leader of the Crows. And so Taya saw the crows as her family because she didn't have anyone before she joined the crows. Um, and she even saw Katerina as the mother she never had. Her rise to power caused a lot of controversy um, within the crows because she didn't have the family or the connections that most people who a rise to leadership within the Crow organization. They usually have some kind of connection, some kind of family power. She didn't have any of that. She was just good. So, um, Taya is said to be very beautiful. She's also a master seductress and she specializes in the killing of cruel men. So that's a little bit about her. Um, I want to dive into the content into Venter Nights um, because this is where we meet more of who she is. This is where we really meet her. This is where we get the bulk of her story so far. So in Antiva, Taya attends a meeting of the eight Talons. This meeting is called by Katerina to discuss 
how in the world they're going to defend Antiva from the potential Kunari invasion. The meeting is to take place at like a villa on an island without bodyguards, without servants. And this is to prevent anything from getting out, anyone from getting in, all of that kind of stuff. It's very secretive. Everyone's very defensive. Taya and Viago, another um, Talon, they arrive together. They're trying to convince the others that their houses are united. And they have worked on several contracts together. And they also have some unresolved feelings for each other. This hmm. is going to be a little bit of a theme. So they arrive. They all have dinner. Whatever. The main stuff is going to start the next day. Well, Taya and Viago go to the room of Lyra Velisti, one of the other talents, um, to talk to her. And instead they find her murdered in her chambers later that night. And they found her murdered in the same way as Queen Magical, which with the four steel blades protruding mm -hmm. from her chest. So this is an imitation of Queen Magical's assassination. And they find traces of lyrium underneath her fingernails. And so one of the other talons, Julia Ariani, accuses Dante Balazar, another of the talons, of this murder because he is a well-known lyrium addict and very frequently argued with Lyra, even arguing with her at that dinner. So Taya defends Dante because they were formerly lovers. So you can sense a little bit of a love triangle here. Um, so Taya defends Dante from these accusations, but the next morning they find Julie, Julie, uh, he's also been dead. He's also been killed. He's been mm. murdered. In another reenactment of a famous assassination. So two Talons are dead. Both killed in the same way mm. that another famous leader was killed. So now we have a pattern, right? So the villa's eight servants, all they had were eight servants at the time. Um, the servants have also been poisoned. Another reenactment. Suspicions fall on Viago, who Taya arrived with, because he's a master poisoner. Taya defends him. She doesn't think that he's the one that's done it because she's been with him most of the night, and that would implicate her too. Well, she offers to lie for him to give him an alibi, but he says no. And then Katarina um, orders him and Dante and Taya. They're all locked in their rooms. They're all suspects. They need to stay away from each other. They need to stay away from anyone. Well, Taya <laughs> decides during this time she's going to get out of her room. She um, goes and interrogates Dante. Um, because she thinks that he's the one that did it because Dante and Lyra, the first murder, they were lovers too. Um, more mm. recently than her, than Dante and Taya had been lovers. I know this is like kind of confusing, but anyway, um, so she interrogates Dante. She ends up believing him that he's not the one that did it. Um, and she leaves, goes back to her room. Well, the next day she finds out that he's been assassinated as well. 
so she then goes back to Viago and is like, oh my God, I've just found Dante. Dante is in the process of dying when she finds him because he's been poisoned. The master poisoner has been poisoned. So she basically rescues him and um, finds the antidote really quickly and saves his life. Um, so there are a few errors. All of these murders were reenactments. There are a few errors in the reenactments. And so that allows Taya and Viago to figure out that the murderer, the assassin, is Emil Cortez. And he's, again, he's one of the Talons. So what happened is, with all of this murder, um, Viago and Taya uncover that it's Emil. And Emil made a deal with the Cunari to kill all the Talons and throw the Antivan Crows into chaos... Um, believing that the Kunari would uphold their promise to invade peacefully and not force conversion on the Kuhn, to the Kuhn on Antiva. Which, to me, I'm like, okay, well, you're dumb because they would never uphold that promise. Mm-hmm. Number two, so now you're just... Like, I know you're part of this Assassin's Guild, but, like, you're just going to murder all your friends? Like, okay. Okay. Um, but back to Taya a little bit. So she's the one that figures out all of these murders. She's the one that figures out that it's really a meal. She's the one that saves Viago's life. Um, and I think that's really important. She's a really young woman. She's not, you know, as established as some of these other talents are. And I think she has a lot of potential to grow with the series. Um, and I'm really interested to see how this story specifically continues. Like, how will the crows recover from this? Because Taventer Knights just kind of leaves it up in the air. Um, they, it doesn't give us a conclusion. Um, they they kill Emil, the rest of the Talons that are left. Um, but three of the Talons have been assassinated. Almost four. But three of them were assassinated. And Taya's one of the ones that are left alive. Um so we don't know how this story is going to play out yet. Right. Um, but I do have two fun facts about Taya, other than this story of murder and assassination. Um, the tattoo that marks Taya as a member of House Cantori is on her back. Um, and all of the houses, they have these tattoos that mark them as members of the houses. Um, and then second is that Taya named her horse Andorau after the archdemon who led the fourth blight because she thought it was funny. Okay, well, do you have any other last thoughts about um, Antiva or Ravane? I do not. Okay, me neither. All right, well, thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. As always, you can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, email them to us at DALorecast at gmail.com. The Dragon Age Lorecast is a part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club. You can join the Robots Radio Network Discord by clicking the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed our show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and give us a review. See you next time. How
well do you know your video game lovers? Have you ever wondered how your video game bays stack up against all the other delectable digital dates? I'm Genesis, the girl whose motto in life is love, laugh, tequila. And on Two Girls, One Ship, we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. And I'm Vervada, the hopeless romantic cat lady and lifelong gamer. But you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of physical connection. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two characters, using specific in-game dialogue, and the overall narrative journey. So join the two girls, one ship, shipsters, and remember... Beauty is in the eye of the controller.